Welcome to the Canteen Podcast, a show for anyone who has feelings about food. Join host Ali Houston as guests open up about their relationship with food and their thoughts on nutrition. Nourish yourself with the Canteen Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Canteen Podcast. I'm your host, Ali Houston. Please don't forget to jump over to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. Please don't forget to leave a five-star rating and review to get the podcast in front of more eyes. This podcast is made possible thanks to paleocanteen.co.uk, which is my company. That's paleocanteen.co.uk. Thanks, and enjoy the show. And we are recording. And I'm lucky enough to have with me today Dr. Nick Gill, who is a professional strength and conditioning coach and an associate professor at the University of Waikato in New Zealand. Uh, For the last 13 years, he's been the strength and conditioning coach for the New Zealand All Blacks rugby team. Welcome, Nick. Thanks very much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, let's just dive right in. Um, This is a nutrition podcast. How did you get to where you are today in terms of your nutritional thinking? Yeah, good question, actually. Um, I suppose um, I would probably say self-experimentation. Um, you know, I, I did an undergraduate degree in physical education, not a lot of nutrition um, content in there back in the day. Um, I then did a PhD, which was sort of around um, hormonal biochemical sort of physiology so not a lot of nutrition information and in, in, in that sort of journey either um, and then I started working with athletes and realized pretty quickly that no matter how good the program was I put in front of them if we weren't um, getting the nutrition right we were banging our head against the wall and making no progress so I suppose um, I myself um, as a as a weekend warrior um, you know, would, would do the same. I'd train really hard and, and put myself on, on programs that I thought would be, you know, the, the bee's knees, um, but didn't really address my my passion for, you know, hot chips and, and lots of noodles and, and, and bad eating, I suppose. Um, so I just started playing around the fringes a little bit myself and, um, and then got really excited about what I was learning and, and then, you know, digging deeper and, Surrounding myself with people that could give me good advice around nutrition and um, and obviously lots of reading. So you know, it's a little, little bit of self self taught and self experimentation on what works, what doesn't, um, and what situations for what sort of people. Interesting. We were talking about um, a mutual acquaintance, Grant Schofield, a professor in Auckland, just before we started, and. Uh, you mentioned that he had something to do with introducing the idea of low carb as a potential, um, you know, way to eat. Um, where does low carb sit in your overall picture? Yeah, I think um, it's, you know, it's a really exciting sort of area. Like, in, and I suppose um, that was a sort of second experiment I did on myself, which was um, high fat, low carb. and and you know, it was amazing. I loved it. I loved it so much. I felt amazing. Um, I lost a lot of body fat. I lost a little bit of body weight. Um, 
you know, and it, and it taught me the, the biggest thing I learned from it personally was um, that I no longer had to become a slave to, you know, eating three or four times a day. I ate when I felt hungry. And so when I'm really busy, that was really important. Um, you know, I was never starving. I was never, you know, overeating. Um, well, at least I didn't think I was. Um, so, you know, for me, it's a, it's a really good thing to try and see how it fits with your lifestyle. Um, you know, for, for me, I, I think there's probably, um, you know, the simplest way I'd try and put it is that, you know, if carbohydrates are a, are an important fuel source for for, for some activities. Um, then we need to fuel that activity. But if we are not very active and not burning a lot of, um, you know, energy in that high intensity sort of exercise zone, then um, we probably don't need as many carbs as we might have otherwise thought. Yeah, that seems fair. Um, I'm just going to skip ahead. We've got a, a list of questions to get through, but there's one that picks up on just that thing. Um, you're the strength and conditioning coach for New Zealand Olympic track endurance cycle team in 2014-15. Uh, and a lot of times when people discuss low-carb diets for athletes now, they'll say, oh, you know, it's fine for, low uh, sorry, for long distance, low intensity sports, but maybe not for rugby. Um, and I think, you know, certain individuals in, uh, in rugby eat low-carb, and do it really successfully. Um, what do you think the differences in strength and conditioning are for, for cycling and rugby, and how does nutrition fit in there? So the differences in strength and conditioning for the two sports <laughs> couldn't be any further apart, to be fair. Um, you know, when I was working with a cycling group, you know, you're, you're working with 50, 60 kilo athletes um, who cannot put on any muscle because it will change the aerodynamic or the aerodynamic profile, you know, so we're trying to increase stability and limit movement on the bike um, and not put on any size. Um, and we're trying to get stronger, more powerful legs um, that need to, you know, move very quickly for a short amount of time. So you sort of got a, a, a little bit of a different beast. Um, you know, we've got most rugby players that really strength and power is the key goal. Um, size is not a, a restrictor, is in you can't be too big so long as they fit. Um, you know, so very, very different. Um, you know, the, the cyclists, you know, you'd be out on the bike for four or five hours and, and then come and have to lift weights after that, you know, in a fatigued state. Whereas in rugby, I mean, there's not a lot of fatigue. Let's face it, they don't rugby players don't do a lot of um, a lot of volume of work um, during a season it's all about getting ready for a, for a game on Saturday so um, yeah very different beasts from an ECC perspective um, and likewise from a nutrition perspective because you know you mentioned it just before that some rugby players do well on low carb and some don't and and I think that's the key message when it comes to nutrition and ECC um, you know everyone talks about it um, about there being individual differences of individual needs, but it's it's just as it's it's so true for nutrition and S and C. You know, you can't you you can't you'd get very different adaptations from two different people that were 
on different training programs or on the same training programs, you'd get different responses to the same two people on the same nutrition program. So we have to figure out what works best for each individual. And, um, and that comes through experimentation in my mind. That makes sense. Um, just delving down into that a little bit, is there a, a, a kind of shortcut for doing that correctly, you know, uh, that save, that'll save people time? So if you were to experiment for six months with your nutrition and say you do what I do, which is uh, you run to the gym, you lift a barbell in different ways, and then you run home, and that's pretty much your exercise. You know what would um, what would someone like me there do to test uh, nutrition benefits over six months? Say, oh, I think I just put together a bit of a plan around you know what are you going to try and achieve physically, but also nutritionally. So, if if I was if I had a routine like that where my exercise for the day was jogging to the gym, throwing around some tin, and jogging home, um, then you know, let's say that that's pretty standard. <clears throat> so then the key would be to figure out, well, what am I going to try to change nutritionally to make shifts or to make sure that that exercise is achieving the the outcomes I want it to achieve. Um, you know, six months is a long time. I don't think you'd need to do it for six months. I think, I think two months you'd get a good feel for how it made you feel and how, um, how you adapted. Um, and you just need some checkpoints along the way, some, some measures that allow you to make an um, objective assessment versus just a subjective assessment. So that would be things like, um, you know, am I running faster? Is my heart rate lower? Um, am I lifting the same or less or more? Um, is my body composition shifted one way or another? Um, you know, and body composition, not just being weight, but also body fat and possibly um, water retention, um, fluid retention. So, so I'd basically, you know, have some objective measures in place, um, keep a routine, and then I'd experiment with your macros, macronutrients that you're taking in. Um, and so for me, if I was only doing what you're talking about, which is say, let's say it's 70 to 90 minutes of exercise a day, um, then I would be eating very few carbohydrates. So there's just no real need to, to load up the, the muscles with and the liver with glycogen there from carbohydrates. Well, that's just from my personal experience, absolutely. For my for my body type, that's what's worked that's what would work for me in that situation. Um, you know, at the moment, like I'm 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 in quarantine and I'm I'm riding my bike um, I don't know, three to six hours a day. I did six and a half hours the other day because I had nothing else to do. Um and, and so I'm eating a lot of carbohydrates because I'm having to fuel the work that I'm doing and there is some intensity to some of it and I don't, I can't get what I need if I'm just eating um, high fat. Okay, now that's just me um, and that's through a couple of years of dabbling around this area for myself. Um, but, you know, if I'm, if I'm not exercising on Sunday, my last day of quarantine, when I say not exercising, I'm not training on my bike, um, then I probably will have very few carbohydrates that day. You know, so so I think, you know, for for the for the general um, sedentary person that does six to ninety minutes a day of activity, um, we need to look at how much fuel we're putting in the body, um, fuel being carbohydrates. Um, 
and you know my analogy is like a car you know if you if you drive your car down the road three kilometers and back to the back to how back to the house and park in the garage and it sits in the garage overnight and doesn't do a lot um you know you don't get up in the morning and, and fill the car with petrol again before you drive it you, you drive it down the road again and back and all of a sudden at the end of the week you're sort of you need to put some more fuel in the tank um too many people are, are putting too much fuel in their body that they're not needing to use so um, i think that's the biggest thing that i'd change or or, or experiment with yeah that makes sense so um what's been your general approach with working with the all blacks in terms of strength and conditioning and nutrition and has either kind of changed over the 13 years uh yeah heaps of a lot a lot's changed um uh so we we had um a very part-time nutritionist 13 years ago um where she would come in and do sort of a day a week of education and monitoring and and now she's full-time with us travels the world with us so um you know that's a big shift so nutrition's gone from being a an afterthought to a, a big rock of the program um so that's one big shift in snc well just i suppose the knowledge um of the athletes the professionalism of the athletes um you know the the age of the athletes is getting younger um and i suppose the tolerance for work has increased so you know i'm sure it's the same all around the world rugby has only been professional for um about 24 years um and so i sort of feel like now we've only just you know probably the last four or five years got to the point where you know athletes are truly professional 12 months a year and they behave and, and prepare like professionals generally so um yeah plenty's changed in 13 years i mean when i started with the all Black, i actually did a stint with the all blacks in 04 um in 04 you know the backs weren't doing lower body weights you know so very um, much remember in 2007 world cup i think it was um when south africa won um they were they had huge upper bodies and the backs they they, they had uh, very slender um legs and they seemed to be just faster than everyone so it's, there was a strange kind of it was a strange mismatch some of the some of the, the other teams were much bigger but the South Africans had the runaround. Yeah, I mean, I mean, speed's speed's king when it comes to your your backs, isn't it? And um, um, I think that you know, like so, so back back in '04, the All Blacks weren't doing lower body weight. The All Black backs weren't doing lower body weights, and now um, you know everyone's doing lower body weights. And we've got big, strong, powerful athletes. Um, you know, I mean, the biggest thing for the biggest thing for um for me i suppose is it's 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 one thing being bigger faster stronger but what we're trying to create in our athletes is durability you know trying to keep players healthy and healthy available uh that's where a lot of snc comes in is it's actually actually about making athletes able to do their job and bounce back it's not necessarily about always trying to make the athlete faster and jump higher that's really interesting. And I guess like if you had to add a word to strength and conditioning, then it might be recovery, strength and conditioning and recovery. And you can't do that properly without good nutrition, right? Um, 
it, you mentioned that it's basically revolutionised uh, over the last 13 years in terms of how much effort's gone into nutrition in the programme. Um, but do you think it's possible to perform at the highest level on any diet if you're a good enough athlete? Because, I mean, I, I'm, I obviously I'm trying to generalise some of this to mere mortals, but um, maybe maybe you can't. I, I don't think, I mean, we have to be clear here what any diet means. Um, you know, I, I think, I think, talent and and skill and ability to read the read the game and make amazing decisions um in a, in a split second is is always going to mean you, you you're going to be successful um <clears throat> and how much nutrition plays into that natural ability um is probably minimal um but day in day out week in week out year upon year um i don't think you could be as successful as you could be if your nutrition was not good and i say good nutrition because good nutrition as i've said before is different for each person um what good nutrition to me for me um is going to be what very different to what good nutrition is for you um because our physiology is different you know our physiology is different so our body needs different things um just like our physiology is different so our strength and conditioning program should be different um so can you be successful on a crappy diet? Um, I would have to say you can be successful on a crappy diet for so long and then it will catch up with you and you will stop being successful. And we see it all the time, you know, 18, 19, 20 year olds come into the program and, you know, they're just there, they've, they've been successful because they're talented. Um, they've always been talented and because, um, uh, because of that and their physiology and their age, um, what they eat hasn't mattered. Um, and I can relate to that myself. When I was a, um, you know, a 17, 18, 19 year old, I could eat anything, you know, and I could train the house down. I could eat whatever I wanted. I didn't have to worry about it. I, I could train really hard one day, wake up the next day, feel a million dollars, do it again. And as you get older, <clears throat> all of a sudden that's not the case all of a sudden you have to be far more careful about how you recover, what training you do, what you put in your mouth, um, because um, it's just, it's just you know, the aging process, our, our metabolism starts to slow down a little bit, our hormones are at different levels. And so I think you know, nutrition becomes more and more important as we get older, and just like the exercise you do becomes more and more important as you get older. Yeah, that makes sense. Um... You've said before that the basics of your program are high intensity running, maximal load lifting, and power development. Um, I'm thinking about how these interplay. For example, some people worry about cardio stealing muscle gains. Do you think uh, there's a, a right way and a wrong way to um, get the most out of these three things? Um, yeah, I mean, I had to be a had to be vague, but again, it's just so different for every person. But um, you know, there's no doubt that that you know the the evidence shows that it's very hard to make um, big gains aerobically um, if you are concurrently doing heavy weight training. Likewise, it's really hard to make big gains in strength if you're doing a lot of aerobic training. So that word concurrent is is the rugby player's bloody lifestyle 
you know, we're, we're trying to do everything. The rugby players have to be skillful, so we've got to work on skills. Um, they have to be aerobically fit because they have to be able to run around for 40 to 80 minutes, you know, running clock of, you know, 100 minutes. Um, you know, we need to be big and strong to handle collisions. So to impose force on the opposition and to absorb force from the opposition, we need to be powerful and quick so we can evade the opposition and look for space. Um, you know, we need to be able to um, accelerate um, and so we're trying to do everything um, and I don't think there's another another sport in the world that is probably um, so varied in what we're trying to achieve physically and I mean rugby league is is even very different you know because in rugby league you know a, a really big player in rugby league nowadays is probably 110 115 kilos you know and in, in rugby union you've got 135 kilo players running around you know like and they actually have to be very, very strong because they have to scrummage and, and, and they've got a thousand kilos of pack weight against them and, you know, coming down on their shoulders and coming up their butt. Um, so so the, the demands are just so varied across the rugby team. Um, so, you know, like I think that that's probably, the, that's probably the key thing is that, you know, the concurrent nature of how we prepare athletes is just our bread and butter. It's what we have to do. Um, but it doesn't mean you can't achieve progress across any of those key variables whenever you want. Um, most of us, it's about frequency of stimulus. And what I mean by that is, you know, if I run three times a week um, myself, um, I'll get to a level of fitness where I can't really get any fitter by running three times a week. So I've got two choices. I either run four times a week or I change the content of those three runs. And then I'll get another shift in, in, in my performance. And then all of a sudden I'll plateau off again. And it's like, okay, now I've got another another choice to make. Do I now run five times a week or do I change the focus of those four runs? And again, you'll make another shift. And so, you know, preparing rugby players is no different. If we have a player that's weak, um, we need to do more strength work. So maybe another strength session. If we have a player that's aerobically not fit enough, well, we have to somehow throw more aerobic work at that athlete within the week. Um, so, yeah, it's just it's just it's just the balancing act of being a you know of being a rugby player is figuring out where your gains need to be made and where maintenance is accept, acceptable. Mm. It sounds kind of like what you were suggesting for me and anyone else who trains like me. Set up some measurables and tweak around with uh, how you go about getting to them. Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. You know, because if you just do the same old, same old, I always, always just say to my students, you know, most of us, most of us put our running shoes on at the front door, walk to the gate, run out the gate, around the block a couple of times, come back to the gate, walk in and take your shoes off, and that's our exercise done. And, you know, if we did the same block same run three times a week we'll get fit to a point and then we won't make change and so that's okay if if it's all you want to do um and and then avoid the decline that age brings um you know that's probably fine but it is it is important to have some if you've got some goals to actually measure measure progress and have some checkpoints along the way it's quite a lot of uh attention now and there's a few doctors that i follow who advocate for just using your own body weight for training and that's it 
um, maybe doing some some sprints or whatever. Um, so do you, do you think that the average person can get enough from lifting just their own body weight or do you think to really optimize your health you need to lift weights? Good question actually. Um, I, think, I think for most people, if I was to generalize the world's population, most people would be, it would be amazing if all they did was body weight exercise because let's face it, most people are doing nothing. Okay, so so I think if everyone in the world started doing just body weight exercise, we'd have a far far healthier population on on this on this earth. Um, so I think it really depends on you know where you're at and what your goals are and what you're trying to achieve. Um, I hate going to the gym, you know, like I work at a gym with the rugby team, you know, I don't know, twenty weeks a year, um, and I just don't enjoy lifting weights. It's just I don't know, it's just not me. Um, I used to when I was younger, but I don't now. I, I want to be outside. Um, you know, and, and so, so I think the biggest thing that I'd say is, um, you know, weights versus body weight, whatever, whatever is something you enjoy doing, you know, like if you love lifting weight, go and do it. If you love just not having to go anywhere and just getting into your garage and doing body weight stuff, then fantastic. Um, the most, the most um, regime in my mind is one that you look forward to doing, you know, um, if you look forward to going to the gym, then that's going to be successful for you. You'll make changes, you'll make progress, and you'll always do it. Um, but if it's not enjoyable, or if it's not something that you're competitive um, in, that's making you sort of push yourself, then um, it won't be effective. So, um, yeah, there's enough literature out there that shows that as we get older, some resistance training is really important for. Um, for bone strength, for example, or hormonal pulses. Um, so, you know, but but let's walk before we run. You know, like that's what I'd say is, um, if you if you if you get into a routine where you're doing body weight exercise regularly and it's and it's something you enjoy, then hey, add some resistance with some bands. Um, you still don't need to go to the gym. Um, get some basic weight. And you still don't need to change your movements. You can just do it wherever you want. I mean, that's the biggest challenge for most people is getting to a gym. <clears throat> so, um, don't know if I've answered your question, but um, yeah, it's not a simple answer. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's obviously loads of factors involved. I mean, I sometimes can't be bothered going to lift weights, and sometimes I really relish it. Uh, feels like a kind of, you know, brackets around my day almost, um, and. You know, I love the results ultimately as well, you know, so it's almost like it's a goal driven thing as much as an enjoyment driven thing. And, um, you know, there's also what people are able to do, of course, and um, which kind of brings, right. brings me on to talking yeah. about. Um, Mate, if I, if I lived in Glasgow, I'd probably go to the gym. <laughs> yeah, there's not many days where outside is, uh, is that yeah, that's, beautiful that's prospect. Right. <laughs> um, no, it's a lovely city, really. It's a lovely city. Um, but it's, it's like Billy Connolly says, you know, uh, there's only there's only two uh, seasons in Scotland: winter and June. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, yeah, I mean, talking about different strokes for different folks, should different should people who do different types of jobs do different exercises? So, like someone who's sitting at a desk all day, uh, should they be doing different exercises to someone who's working kind of in a care home, uh, is always bending to pick things or pick people up. You know, do you think 
you think that's the way to look at it or or do you think it should always just be what you enjoy what you're able to do what you can afford etc yeah absolutely that's that would be what i'd say like let's face it you know 99 percent of us are sedentary um you know like i have a i have a when i'm with the all blacks i'm you know, I'll do I'll do thirty steps a day, thirty thousand steps a day with the All Blacks. Um, you know, and so so, but I still feel that sedentary because I'm only walking or I'm only on my feet. Um, you know, whereas that's a lot of walking for some people. Um, I think the the biggest thing would be rather than look at what you do every day as to what then what exercise you should do. I'd be saying, well, what do you enjoy doing, and what are you going to keep doing? And what's going to become a constant in your life because it's something you look forward to doing. As soon as exercise becomes a chore, um, I think it's not going to last long. You know, you might you might commit to it for three months, but if you don't legitimately enjoy it, it's not going to last long. Um, and I think that's that 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 comes back to the ideas around nutritional um, experimentation. You know, I think we all need to experiment with what exercise we like doing and don't like doing. Um, you know, I. You know, I know so many people that just see it as a chore to go for a run. It's like, man, if you if it's a chore, why would you do it? You know, find something you enjoy and and something you look forward to. Life's too short to be doing shit you don't like doing. Um, you know, so so that all comes down to experimentation and, and just looking outside the square. Um, I've got a mate who has been an Eastern Sea coach for twenty years, and um, he has just lifted weights and done you know tough body weight sessions all his life. You know, he's um, he's about 52 now, um, and he's just discovered triathlon, and he is just like a he's just like a young kid again. It's just awesome to see. It's just his excitement about going for a swim in the ocean is just you know. And 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 I, I haven't talked to him about it, but I just imagine he's thinking, why didn't I do this 20 years ago? You know, um, and so yeah, it's it's really cool. It's never too late to change an experiment. So he's swimming in the ocean. He's riding a bike, stuff that he just has never really done, and he's loving it. So, I think that um, you know, as we as we age, or as we you know um, get older, we enjoy doing changes as well. Um, like I said, I used to I used to love weights, and now I don't. Um, the moment I love I love you know swim, bike, run, um, and maybe in ten years' time I won't like that, and I'll just be doing yoga on the beach. You know, who knows. Um, but I think you just have to keep experimenting with, with what works for you at this point in time. You know, nutrition and exercise, hand in hand. What's working for you at this point in time? What are you liking to eat? Um, what don't you need to eat? What exercise do you love? What do you hate? Yeah, that's. I'm sure that's a perfect way to think about it for most people. I guess an athlete, you know, probably loves the sport, but they probably have to do things that uh, is more goal driven than enjoyment driven sometimes. I mean, you're talking about tweaking up uh, athletes like the All Blacks that are absolutely at the top of their game to the point where their body can withstand the, you know, ton of pressure from the, the forward pack. Um, do you think there's a limit to how strong and conditioned a human can be? Um, and are we close to reaching it? And if not, where do you see the limit? Because, you know, I'm thinking about when, when I was a boy, um, 
the rugby players then were like farmers or lawyers or something and they look they didn't look like people who play rugby do now yeah i mean i think um have we reached the limit i don't think so like i think um you know there's there's if we think about you know my comment earlier about rugby has only been professional for 24 years um you know i suppose um you know the genetic pool is is ever changing and um you know i think i think what we are seeing at the moment is it's a really big strong athletes that um have to be like that because the opposition are like that and then what we're getting is we're getting less small injuries and more big injuries you know we're getting more broken bones and more serious concussions and more snap tendons and ligaments um and that's just what is happening around the world and so um you know from a from a physical perspective um we'll always be able to make people run jump um higher and faster um and lift more weight and improve nutrition because we you know the science around all of that is is forever changing um technology plays a big part you know and in tracking individuals physiology and and what we understand about the heart rate and the central nervous system and what we're learning there and how we're recovering so we can do it again and um you know all that sort of stuff nutrition's still very young when you think about you know where things are heading with nutrition and um yeah it's i don't think we're near where we could where, where we could get to um um but yeah it's it's um yeah it's an interesting space to think about like what the ceiling could look like um i'd hate to think what the collisions will look like if we do get everyone as big and as fast and as strong as they could be um hopefully the rules change by then wow yeah it's an interesting thought i mean i guess at some point it makes sense to step in and uh, protect absolutely like all they need to do is all they need to do is change the um change the um number of people on the reserves bench um probably and and have players that have to be able to play 80 minutes you know at the moment you've got a more of a strength power focus because you can substitute your front row after 40 minutes so all of a sudden the big boys don't need to be able to run around for 80 minutes they only need to run around for 40 minutes so um there's a few small tweaks that could that could happen that could help um you know likewise stoppages it takes two minutes sometimes three minutes in the uk to set a scrum you know whereas if there was a 20 second countdown um you know there's going to be a far far more running and far less standing around talking um far more entertaining um and the need for the players to be so big and strong and and not fit uh, would change dramatically mm -hmm. yeah it'd be really interesting to see little changes like that uh, make a big impact um coming from glasgow uh alcohol has played a, an, an, impos an imposing and important role in my uh, cultural milieu shall we say um yeah. how much impact does alcohol have on strength and conditioning do you think i mean clearly there's an impact for athletes at the highest level but what do you think about alcohol consumption for the average person yeah um <laughs> good question um look 
look, we we know alcohol. I mean, essentially, it's a poison, isn't it? It's a it's a it's a chemical that we don't really need, um, and it makes some people do some silly things. Um, but I think that um, it, it's all about moderation. I think um, you know, I I I don't think there's I mean, there's 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 mental benefits for some people to have a couple of beers and to relax and chill out and. And, and laugh with your friends, and then there's, um, you know, the physiological impact on how you feel the next day, or even the the discipline and decision making you have while you're having a couple of beers. You know, that affects your nutrition choices big time. Um, and you know, it's pretty dense in energy. So, hey, um, I, I don't like in if, if I was working with an athlete um, or just a Joe Average, just a weekend warrior. Um, I don't have a no alcohol policy, um, but I think moderation is key, um, and and understanding what happens when you have a couple of beers around nutrition is important. And you know, um, you know, I, I think I do a fair bit of work with pilots, and um, pilots obviously up until COVID were travelling the world and staying in hotels and. You know, eating buffet meals and and having a couple of quiet beers every night in the in the hotel bar. Um, you know, between flights and um, a pretty sedentary lifestyle. And I, the biggest thing that I tried to teach the pilots was, it's okay to have three beers, um, but it's probably not okay to have three beers and four sandwiches at lunch. You know, if you're going to have three beers, you know you're going to have three beers. Well, maybe you just need to have a salad at lunch. Because the the eight slices of bread that you've now missed at lunch, you can have in beer, you know. And so, so I think alcohol does add a layer of of nutritional energy to your day. Um, and again, we're talking about moderate intake here, not 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 binging. We're talking about just a couple of quiets at night. Well, you have to you have to if you're going to have them because you enjoy them, you have to give something else up in your day. You know, the old beer belly that everyone talks about. Is that a beer belly or is that a belly that's come about because you've added beer to your eating? So it could just be an eating belly, you know? Um, so, you know, I know that if I'm going to, if I'm going to have a couple of beers at night, then I'll definitely give up um, some of the energy that I otherwise eat through my day um, so that I'm still, you know, energy neutral or sort of where I need to be about. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. That's, uh Sounds like a sound strategy. Um, I guess for me in the past, I didn't always have the feel like I had the ability to strategize around things that I could sometimes find compulsive either through um, the culture or because of you know habits around how friendships are and all the rest of it. Um, you know, I I, I I never I never found it very difficult to moderate alcohol but cigarettes I did you know um and I guess for some you just have to find your own line don't you you know some people can moderate these things and um some people can't uh and I guess if you can then being strategic about it is the is the thing um you know George Henderson who is a researcher out in New Zealand is always pulling up researchers who are doing um kind of uh energy um intake studies because they always seem to miss out alcohol you know they never mention alcohol it's such a huge part of our lives and yet um it, it kind of gets it kind of drops off the radar a little bit i guess 
Well, that's what I'm saying. Like people don't think of it as their nutritional intake, you know, like, and that's, that's a big, that's a, that's where you get into trouble. And that's why I say like, if you're going to have some beers, that's fine. Just means you have to not have something else through the day. You know, for me, like I, I, um, um, I would tell the average person that if you have three or four beers at night, well, you need to have no carbs through the day. You know, like you don't need bread at breakfast. You don't need cereals. You don't need bread or rice or pasta at lunch. Get all your colourful food in through your breakfast and lunch, and you, you get your carbohydrates through a couple of beers at night. You know, so um, it's not it's not the ideal. You know, probably the, the 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 best advice to give. But I mean, that's what it's about. Like, it's about balancing or moderation and and strategizing how you're getting your calories and. Hey, don't beat yourself up about having some beers. Just make sure that you've you've given yourself the right to by exercising and moderating other energy intake. Yeah, I call it bread lemonade beer. Yeah, nice. Like it. <laughs> um, yeah, I was. I really wanted to ask you about um, about uh, time restriction. You know, whether you go in for that at all um, with you know a sixteen-eight window or any, any other type of window. And, you know, slightly separate, but how does that square with training timing? You know, people talk about having to have, you know, X grams of protein before, just after, within 90 minutes, blah, blah, blah. Do you, do you kind of go in for all that stuff? Um, me, me personally, I don't. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've fasted and I've done all those sorts of things. But again, just as a self-experiment, um, you know, the, the first experiment I did on myself was... Um, my auntie gave me a book called The Warrior Diet, and um, it was based on the Roman Empire. And the the you know when we think about Romans, we think about you know a helmet, some steel briefs, a sword, and this six pack that you just would not believe. You know that's what we think of. Well, I do. And this book was about that and how how the Romans achieved the most amazing physiques in the history of man. And basically, they said it was because, um, you know, the Romans walked walked from country to country, um, had a battle, succeeded, and then feasted and drank and ate whatever they wanted at night. And then the next day would walk and walk and walk, not eat, and then they'd battle, then they'd feast. And so the idea was that they ate once a day and they drank once a day and it was at night time. And um, and so I tried it, and it was it was mind blowing um, what I learned. I did it for I think I did it for about three weeks. And what I learned was that the bodies, well, my body, not everyone's body, my body. Um, I, I every day, the point of hunger moved one hour. Okay, so I wake up and I'd be like, I'd normally have breakfast at seven o'clock. The first day I was sort of, I wouldn't have breakfast and it's sort of 8, 8.30, I'd start getting hungry. Um, and, you know, I have to try and push through till, till dinner time. You know, the next day, so day two, wouldn't have breakfast, wake up sort of 9.30, 10 o'clock, 10.30, I'd start to get hungry. And the pattern just just every day, it was like like clockwork every day when I got hungry, moved an hour. Um, and so what I learned from that was that those hungers and that habit that we are in can be changed and and so we don't need to eat just when our body tells us we need to eat because actually it's just a message that's saying hey you normally eat at eight o'clock it's now nine o'clock where's my food 
And so I shifted when I got hungry to 4 p.m. So I'd wake up and I'd not be hungry until about four o'clock and I'd start to get a bit flat. Um, and I try to exercise then too. And I found that really tough. So I'd have some honey just to get me through. I'd have a couple of teaspoons of honey. <clears throat> and then I'd feast and eat. And I love food, man. I love food. I love beer. So, you know, every night was just awesome. Um, and what I actually felt also was that the quantities I was eating at night went from being huge, sort of catching up on all the food I've missed, to just normal. Um, and, and I sort of got to the point where I was eating once a day at night and I was eating maybe, you know, one and a quarter um, size meals, you know. And so my portions changed, my hunger changed, and I manipulated it all by just being a bit, a bit tough mentally. Um, you know, so, so I experimented with fasting and things. But what I did notice is I, I lost a little bit of weight, but I don't think I got leaner. Um, I was holding on to fat um, and I had no energy at the back end of the day. And so, um, you know, that was my experiment with fasting and, and eating windows. Um, we have lots of athletes that, have, that try different eating windows who, you know, who won't have breakfast and will just have lunch. Um, and, you know, your, your question was, what do I, what's my take on it? Well, I'm sure, again, just to keep saying the same thing, is it will be very different for every person. You know, I used to hate having breakfast. I never felt like breakfast. But then I'd have a massive lunch, you know. And so um, I now sort of, I'll now have a smoothie and, and have a normal lunch, um, you know, because I don't feel like eating in the morning, but a smoothie I don't mind drinking. Um, so again, I've just figured that out. I'm getting old now, so it's taken me a while, but I'm getting there. Um, and I think that's probably the, the message is all those eating windows and timing of nutrients I think it depends on context. You know, like I know that, like I'm about to hit the bike in, a, in, in another hour and a half, I'll hit the bike. I'll make sure that I've got plenty of water and some carbs on board before I get on. I'll drip carbohydrates into, into me during the session um, and lots of water. And then I'll, and I'm going to miss lunch. Um, and so I'll have a little bit of carbs after because I'm getting ready for the bike ride the next day. So my fueling strategy is based on context. Um, my eating strategy is based on context. So, um, you know, if I'm talking about a rugby player, well, hey, we need we need energy on board to complete the session of high quality because you go into a session with low energy. Um, we're not just physically training here. We're trying to make good decisions and execute good skills. So we don't want to be fatigued because we're trying to be low on nutrients to get leaner. You know, that we're trying to be skillful rugby players making good decisions. So... So you have to understand the purpose of the session and fuel accordingly. Um, likewise, at the, after the session, what are the individual goals for that person um, from a body composition and fueling perspective as to what needs to go and when? You know, if we don't have a huge need to um, recover because we've got 24 hours till the next session, then you know, the urgency and composition of what we eat changes. If we've got a session in three hours' time, well, the need to recover and get the right fuel in for the next session is really important. So it all comes down to, um, you know, needs and context of the individual. The goal and the individual, yet again. Yep. Um, one last question, which is sort of devil's advocate for a second. Have you worked with any athletes who've really excelled on a, a plant-based diet 
um, or just who really like it and you've worked with it? Um, TJ Piranara, who's a, um, an all-black halfback at the moment, um, yeah, he's been he's been vegetarian for I'd probably say a couple of years, um, and he had he originally when he first went vegetarian, I think he had some sort of little bit of bowel sort of distress sort of stuff going on. Um, I don't know if it was because of his change in diet or not. Um, but the last 12 months, he's you wouldn't know that he has no or has less protein and no meat in his diet than any other rugby player. Um, so again, I'm, I'm sure he went through some periods of trying to figure out how it all worked for him. Um, but we have definitely not seen a decrease in performance physically. Um, so, you know, again, I, I don't think there's, um, there's any, any magic formula that you must eat protein or you must eat meat. Um, to be a successful athlete, I don't think that's right. Um, and just like I don't think being vegan or vegetarian is going to make you a better athlete, um, we all need different stuff and we'll all respond to those sort of different ideas of eating in a different way. So TJ's had no problems at all. That's cool. Um, do you have uh, any favourite exercises that you always come back to? <laughs> um, I, I no, I don't really. I sort of, I have, I have some go-to's um, that, like, I've always liked because I've always challenged people. So, I love a good old Turkish get-up um, because, for two reasons, there's an element of strength involved, um, but there's also a huge element of mobility. Um, and I think, as as most of us are sedentary, we we lose good movement and good function so i like the i like the turkish get up um just to challenge people through their hips that's for um, for, for people who, who haven't heard of that before you get a kettlebell right and kettlebell or a dumbbell or a yeah. dumbbell and you you start off uh lying flat right lying flat then, yeah and then you just with you've got a kettlebell or a dumbbell in one hand and you have to raise it above your head and then get up you have to get up yep yeah, and there's a, there's, a, there's a certain method to getting up, but basically you're getting up from a lying down position to, to a standing position. And so, you know, you're getting from the ground to your, to your feet with a, with a weight above your head. Um, so it's a really good challenging exercise for shoulder stability, uh, core and mobility through the hips. So I, I like it as a sort of, you know, a, a one, one fits all approach. Um, and I've always felt that, that squatting, um, and single leg variations to to squatting are, are massively important. Um, you know things like um, Poliquin step ups, Patrick step ups, Bulgarian split squats, um, and a good old squat. Um, I don't think you can beat. Um, you know, for to address the deficiencies that most of us have through our lifestyle. You know, so sitting at a desk or being sedentary. We lose hip function and mobility and strength and stability. Um, and we develop asymmetries left and right. So uh, that'd probably my, that'd be my five exercises that I think I'd try to make sure people did a lot of. That's cool. Thank you. I'm sure there's a few personal trainers who listen to this who'll, uh, who'll be feeling pretty oh, another uh, one I don't, proud of another themselves. One I don't. Another one I don't mind is it's a stretch, but I, I like it because I can do it and most people can't. And that's, um, I just call it foot, foot and mouth. So 
So lying down and um, you're basically trying to grab one foot and put it in your mouth and <laughs> sort of roll to your side and and um, it's a great lower back. Um, I love that stretch, glute. the glute stretch. The glute stretch, yeah, man. And you get your glute real good. Um, but you can stay in that position for a, not, for a long time because you're just holding on to your leg. And so um, I, I, I really like the foot and mouth stretch for, for again, for, for general general public. I love that foot and mouth stretch. It reminds me of when I was, I was four, and this is a true story, I was four years old and my little sister was three years younger than me. She was a baby, really, and she was still able to put her foot in her mouth. And I didn't have the words for it, but I, I seriously, I looked at her and thought, man, I'm getting old. <laughs> I couldn't do it anymore, you see. Uh, brilliant. Yeah, that's what happens, see? You, you, you're a baby, you can squat, bump, bump, the, bump the ground, and all of a sudden we, you know, we grow up 12 or 13, and next minute we can't do any of that anymore. <laughs> oh, it's been a, a pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate your time. Is, I, I mean, I'm not sure if, if you're really kind of looking for followers on social media or anything, but is there anywhere you would recommend looking to you know, find out more? Um, like like to chat with me or is that what you well, mean? Well, yeah, to sort of follow you online if there's a place or if, if there's anywhere that you particularly think people should look for kind of more information around the kind of stuff you do. Yeah, um, it's on my Instagram, um, nickgill underscore health underscore and underscore performance. Um, and I've got a website, nickgill.com. Um, uh, but yeah, I think the, um, yeah, if anyone's got any questions or want to, want to, ask me anything just reach out on those platforms and i'll come back to you straight away all right brilliant well thanks again nick i really appreciate your time nice week mate thanks for having me thanks for listening everyone please don't forget to jump over to itunes google play stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button and please don't forget to leave a five-star rating and review to get the podcast in front of more eyes this podcast is made possible thanks to paleocanteen.co.uk which is my company That's paleocanteen.co.uk. Thanks, and see you next time.